please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading from verses 10 through 14. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. This is God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, we all here have a favorite movie. It might take some of you a minute to figure out what that favorite movie is. But my favorite movie, some of you know, is that of Gladiator. I just love the, 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 the blood and guts type movies, the, the war and action type movies. And what I love about Gladiator is a number of things, but my favorite scene in the movie was when Russell Crowe's character, Maximus, he's the general of his army, and he gets his troops together before they fight the war, and he gives this riveting, moving speech. He's up on his horse, and he says, gentlemen, hold the line, stay with me. And he goes on to say, what we do in this life will echo into eternity. I just get chills thinking about that. As I thought about that scene in the movie, I thought about this portion of Scripture. As we're getting towards the end of our letter of Ephesians, this book of Ephesians, we're seeing that Paul is saying something similar that Maximus said in the movie Gladiator. He's telling us as Christians, hold the line, stand firm against the enemy, stay with Jesus, and what we do on this earth, in this life, it matters now, and it will echo into eternity. As we live each day of our lives, we're fighting a battle. A battle for the souls of men and of women. And it's a battle, some of which we can't see because it's supernatural. But there are effects of this battle that we can see. This is a war that is permanent. It's not temporary. It's permanent from the beginning all the way till the end when Jesus returns. And it is a ruthless, bloody war. The Apostle Paul in this passage, he gives us clear instructions to stand firm. And four times in these five verses, he uses this word stand. Hold the line. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand, stand, stand. 
We as Christians need to stand our ground against Satan and his evil forces. So the question I have for us this morning is really two questions. One, who is this enemy, Satan, that we need to stand up against? And then how do we stand up against him? We need to first understand our enemy, and then we need to understand our weaponry. What weapons God has given us to fight this battle. If you think about it, a great military would not only have troops that were well-equipped and trained and well-resourced, but also they would have great intel about the enemy. It's important to know who you're fighting against. And any military general would know intel is critical to understand the enemy's capabilities, their resources, their next move. And if an army can understand their enemy's next move, they'll have a leg up on the competition and it will help them in the battle. I even think about when it comes to football. And I know many of you are disappointed from last night. I am too. When it comes to football, what makes a team great? It's not just good coaching. It's not just good players. It's not just good recruiting. What makes a football team great are those things and the preparation of the team before the game. The preparation of practice and of reviewing the film. Not just reviewing the film of yourself and your own team, but also the film of the opposing team. Because as you study the opposing team in their film, you understand their strengths, you understand their weaknesses, their big players, you understand their plays and what to do. So you're a little bit more prepared as you go into the game. In the same way, we as Christians need to study the enemy. We need to understand our intel and who we're up against. And there's a lot in the Bible about Satan. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul described them as having schemes, the schemes of the devil. And then it goes on in, in verse 12 by saying, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our enemy is Satan, and our enemy is what I call his spiritual mafia, an evil empire. Of forces that we're up against. Who is Satan? Well, Satan has many titles as you go through scripture. He's described as an adversary, as a serpent, as Beelzebub, as a ruler of this world, as the prince of the power of the air. He's described as a god of this world, as deceiver of this world, as the evil one, as the father of lies, as originator of sin. He's described as a roaring lion seeking to devour us, as a dragon, as a tempter, and as a slanderer, an accuser. Title after title of who Satan is, he is an enemy of all humans, an accuser of humans, and he has the power to attack us and to ensnare us. When you go back to this passage, it describes how he has schemes the Greek word for schemes is metodia, which means craftiness in deceit. 
It's a plural word in the Greek which indicates he has numerous devices in his arsenal for undermining our spiritual progress. It means cunning, deceit, trickery. Satan knows who he's up against. And he knows that God is more powerful than him. He also knows that God can defeat him. He probably knows that the, that the end of the battle is coming. Where he will be thrown into an abyss forever. And here's the thing we need to know about Satan. He knows where he's going. And he intends to take as many people as he can with him. He wants to bring all of us down. Total wickedness is what I describe Satan to be. He's a man and a fallen angel, total wickedness. He's a creature, an angel who is totally wicked. Kent Hughes described this of Satan. He has no conscience, no compassion, no remorse, no morals. He feeds on pain, he feeds on anguish, and he feeds on filth. You know, my other favorite movie is The Dark Knight. I like it not only because I like the action and I like Batman, but frankly, I kind of like the character Joker in some ways. But as you saw Joker, he was just totally wicked. I didn't like that about him. I just liked the acting of Heath Ledger. But Christopher Nolan described Joker as this way. Some men aren't looking for anything logical. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the whole world burn. Joker was that type of person. Satan is a thousand times worse than Joker. In that he just gets joy and a thrill in watching this world burn burn you can't negotiate with him you can't reason with him he's illogical he wants total annihilation and destruction and he wants to bring you and me down with him that's who satan is his aim is total destruction and martin luther he described it well when he wrote that hymn a mighty fortress is our god he said for still our ancient foe Doth seek to work us woe. His craft and Satan's power are great. He's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Meaning, we can't stand up against Satan apart from God. If it were up to us to fight Satan, we could not muster up enough strength to fight this formidable foe. This arch enemy. Because he has a lot of power, he has a lot of influence. But may I remind us all as Christians what the Bible tells us, that he is a fallen created angel. He has as much power as Michael or Gabriel, but he doesn't have the power of God because he's not God. He can only do what God permits him to do. And so with that in mind... We know that Satan is not as powerful as God, so how can he have so much influence in this world? Well, he also has a spiritual mafia who serves underneath him. 
we see that this is an organized hierarchy of demonic rulers, powers, forces of wickedness. Satan stands behind his demons and he leads these forces of evil and they are snipers that have us in their crosshairs and they know us intimately. Now, as I think about demons and I think about wicked demons, wicked angels, I think about what they can do. Demons, they can cause illness. They use lies and deception to turn people away from God. They keep non-believers in bondage. That's where we get the term demon-possessed. If you're a non-believer, you could be demon-possessed. Demons teach false doctrines. Demons even cause evil. This is where we get the idea of total destruction from. And as we watch the news every day, as we see our culture <laughs> going drifting further and further away from God, we're seeing that these are the results of Satan and his mafia at work. There's really three factors into why our world is so chaotic right now. Factor number one is it's you and me, we're sinners. <laughs> we cause some grief in this world because we're sinners. Number two is worldliness. All of us combined in our own sinful flesh, that's the world, and that attributes to a lot of the craziness that we're in right now. But the third reason why we're in such weird and chaotic times is because Satan is at work, and his mafia is at work, and they don't sleep. They operate 24-7. They're constantly at work trying to destroy us and win the souls of unbelievers. John Stott, he described it this way. He said, bear in mind that demons have no moral principles, no code of honor, no higher feelings. They recognize no Geneva Convention to restrict or partially civilize the weapons of their warfare. They are utterly unscrupulous and ruthless in the pursuit of their malicious designs. This is who we're up against. This is the intel we have on our enemy. It's not pretty. It's not pleasant. In fact, it's quite discouraging. So how in the world do we stand up against an enemy like this? I'll tell you how. We've been given weapons to fight. And it's the armor of God that we have. It's not our armor. It's his armor. And the only way we can fight against an enemy like this is if we have God on our side. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And with God on our side, we are always in the majority. Look again at Ephesians 6, how it describes this battle. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. You see, four times it talks about whose power we really have in us. It's not ours. It's God's. And so we are called to hold the line, to stand firm in the strength of Almighty God. Because without him we would be completely annihilated and destroyed. But with him, we can stand. 
with him, we can hold the line. And he has given us great armor to arm ourselves. What is our call as Christians to do in this battle? Well, we're called to humble ourselves before an almighty God so that he will lift us up in his time and in his way. And James 4, 7 is crystal clear on our role as Christians on what to do in this battle. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Notice it starts by saying, submit yourselves to almighty God. Because after all, you need his strength to fight this battle. As you submit to Almighty God, you humble yourself before an Almighty God, He will lift you up and He will enable you to resist the devil so the devil will flee from us. But it's only in the strength and power of God will we be able to resist this enemy, the devil. Notice the armor that Paul described. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Now, when Paul wrote these words, he was chained up to a Roman guard, a soldier, an infantryman. He was there in prison for a while, and I imagine two things were taking place as he wrote these words through the Holy Spirit. Number one is he was observing this Roman soldier, and he observed the uniform that the soldier had on, He observed the weapons that the soldier had. But the other thing that Paul was doing as he was chained up next to this guard in a prison is he was reflecting on all the Old Testament passages that he knew. And as he was reflecting on the Old Testament passages and as he was observing this Roman soldier, through the Holy Spirit, he said, this is the armor of God that has been given to us as believers. In the Old Testament, there are several references describing the armor of God. Isaiah 11.5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Isaiah 59.17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Many of you know Isaiah 52.7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns, the shoes of peace. Three references in Isaiah that describe the honor of God. As Paul's writing this letter, he's reflecting on the Old Testament, he's observing this Roman soldier, and he's saying this is the armor of God that has been given to every single Christian. We are armed for battle. And it's not our armor that's been given to us, it's God's armor. But here's the other thing I want you to think about. It's not just the armor of God that we wear. And that we've been given. It's the armor of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 and Isaiah 59 are describing a future Messiah. They're describing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would be the one who would wear the armor of God when he came to this earth. And when he came to this earth, think about the armor that Jesus wore. Let's look at it. He wore the belt of truth when he said, I am the truth. Isaiah 59 described that he put on righteousness as his breastplate and that he lived a perfect life. He wore the shoes of peace by promoting peace on earth and the gospel of peace. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and he threw these fiery dots at Jesus, or darts at Jesus by tempting him with words, if you are the son of God, Jesus took up the shield of faith 
by trusting his father, and he defended himself against Satan's schemes and fiery darts of accusations. Jesus wore the helmet of salvation in that he accomplished our salvation on the cross. And Jesus used the sword of the Spirit when Satan himself was tempting him. Remember the three times Satan tempted him in that, in that scenario, in that scene? Those three different times when, when Satan tempted him, Jesus used the word of God every single time in response. He used the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, as he was on the defense mode to Satan's attacks. And because he used the sword of the Spirit, Satan fled and ran away from him. The armor of God that we've been given is the same armor that Jesus Christ wore. It is the armor of Christ. Now, you may have remembered this when you were a child. You may have little kids now. But remember when your dad would get home or your mom would be there and you would just rummage through their closet and you would put on their shoes and their, and their shirts just to imitate your mom and dad? You might even put on their glasses. I used to do that all the time. I wanted to be like my dad, so I'd put on his glasses, I'd put on his shoes, and I'm, you know, five, six years old. Well, it's been really neat having four little kids because they're doing what I used to do. And the other day, I get home from drill, military drill, and what does my son do? He puts on my boots, he puts on my hat, and he walks around. It made me laugh, it made me smile. But what was Caleb doing? He was imitating his dad in a silly way. In the same way, we are to imitate Jesus Christ by putting on his armor. Putting on his armor as we fight this battle. And so again, what is this armor that he's given us? What weaponry do we have to fight the enemy? Joel gave a great sermon last week to introduce this by talking about the belt of truth. The belt of truth was a leather belt supported and it protected the lower abdomen. It gathered your tunic together and it also would hold your sword in place. But here's the other thing I want you to think about here, about the belt of truth. The belt of truth helped keep the breastplate secure so it wouldn't move around and shift. It fastened it and kept the breastplate secure. That's important as we continue looking at the breastplate of righteousness because what is the breastplate of righteousness? Well, there's really two things we need to think about. We need to think about how righteousness is not our own, it's Jesus's, so his righteousness is put on us, and therefore because we have his righteousness, we are to be righteous and continue to live righteously. Those are the two things we need to think about. But the breastplate that the Roman soldiers would, would wear they would put it over their chest and some would even over their back. And the reason they wore the breastplate was it would protect them from the deadly thrusts of the enemy who had a small sword who would come up close to them and try to stab them in the heart. The breastplate would protect their organs and especially the heart. And as I think about the breastplate of righteousness, we are armed with it. We've been given it by Christ to protect us from the dagger of Satan because he's going right to our hearts. Think about it. He's trying to win us over. He's trying to discourage us. Have you ever thought to yourself, well, I'm pretty worthless. Have you ever felt hopeless? 
Have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever felt lonely or depressed? Well, guess what? Satan's at work. He's trying to get to the seat of your emotions. And he's trying to mess with your head. He's trying to get right here to your heart. Jesus is saying, don't let them in. Don't let them hear. I've given you this breastplate of righteousness to protect you from his accusations, from his trickery, from his deceit, from his lies. So wear it with pride. There's this fancy theological term, it's called imputation. We in our own selves, in our own might, we can't be good because we're sinners. We're corrupt in our whole being. But that's why God is so good because he sent his only son to this earth. Jesus was perfect. He was completely righteous. He was completely holy. He was completely good. He never broke a commandment, never broke a law. He was 100% innocent, full of love, full of peace and joy. And the good news is, is he came to die on a cross so that you and me as sinners could be forgiven by an almighty God the Father. We could be reconciled with God the Father because Jesus paid the price and the price was blood. God the Father didn't want money. He didn't want time in prison. He wanted blood. So Jesus gave his blood, made the payment to God the Father so that we could be forgiven of our sins, we could have a relationship with him again. And when all of that happened, our sin was put on, imputed means put on, it was put on Jesus, the cross, and his righteousness and goodness was put on us as sinners. So now we're not just a bunch of sinners walking around hopeless and helpless and worthless, but we are saints We've been bought with a price. We've been forgiven. We're children of God. We're loved. We're saints. We're righteous because of Christ. And because of that, we are to wear this breastplate of righteousness with pride. We are to say to Satan when he tries to deceive us, Satan, away from me, you liar, you fool, leave me alone. Because what you're telling me is a complete lie. And it's from the pit of hell. And what I know to be true is the word of God is true. And I am a child of God dearly loved by him. I'm not worthless. I'm not hopeless. I'm not helpless. Instead, I'm loved. I'm valued. I'm cherished. I'm strong. I'm righteous. That's what we got to do in this battle. We got to remember the righteousness that has been put on us through Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we've got to live righteously. And how do we live righteously? Well, remember what I said about the belt of truth? Keeping that breastplate secure, we hold on to the truth. And boy, do we need the truth today. This week I was scratching my head and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if this world can get any crazier. <laughs> We are living in some really weird and odd and peculiar times. People are making some crazy decisions. People are losing jobs. People are getting frustrated. Seems like the world is unraveling and falling apart. Well, guess, guess what? Even though our world might be a little crazy right now, 
We have the belt of truth that keeps everything secure. And as long as that belt is secure, our, bless, our breastplate of righteousness is secure. And as we reflect on that truth that God has given us in his word, then we can live righteously. But we got to hold on to the truth. And Christian, today, more than ever, we need to hold on to the word of God, the truth. Because it is the absolute truth in a world of relativism. In a world where people make up their own truth and say, well, your truth is your truth. As long as it doesn't offend me, then you can have your own truth. And you're fine. You're not fine. You'll be in hell. Satan's just lying to you. God has given us the truth. And so keep your belt secure. Keep your breastplate secure. Remember that Jesus has made you righteous and stand your ground. Hold the line. Martin Luther, he, he said it well as he concluded the psalm, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He said, even though Satan is powerful, he can be defeated. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Even though Satan is powerful, even though his mafia is at work trying to take us down, one little word can take him down. And what I know, what the Bible says, is this. God wins. Satan loses. The end. <laughs>